How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez. And in this episode, we have a special myth-busting episode. It is a discussion between me and my good friend, Dr. Joey Munoz. I've had him on the show before to talk about building muscle. I'll link that episode into the show notes so you can hear his story and hear more about his expertise around building muscle, why it's important, how to do so, how to get started, and more. But in this episode, we cover several myths. We talk about red meat. We talk about saturated fat. We talk about seed oils. We discuss carnivore diets, how to identify correct and accurate pieces of nutrition information, how to correctly interpret research, and we go into a lot more. So this discussion is quite long, but I'm confident that it's going to be highly valuable for a lot of you. So I highly recommend tuning in and giving it a listen. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get into the episode. Adrian, what's up, my man? How are you doing, bro? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great, dude. I've, uh, I need to congratulate you, man. You are, Congratulate me for what? You, you're officially, officially the first person ever to appear twice on the Dr. Joey Munoz show. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. It does make sense. You were my first guest and uh, maybe one of my favorites. I don't know. I'm not going to give you too much praise. <laughs> I mean, I, the data, the evidence points to to the fact that that might be the case. No, yeah. no I appreciate it. I, I think this is going to be a good episode. Uh, and, and yeah, it's going to be really valuable, I'm pretty sure, because the yeah. things that we're going to talk about are things that a lot of people run into, a lot of people are confused about, and yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, for those of you guys who just started listening to the podcast recently, you may or may not have heard the episode with Adrian at the beginning. I recommend you do, it was absolutely fantastic, but Adrian was the person who actually pushed me to start a podcast, because I was, I'm going to curse, I was fucking around with YouTube before, and <laughs> focusing on things like editing videos and like graphics, and um <laughs> You know, Adrian and I met on Instagram. We had a conversation because he's been doing this for a lot longer than I have. And he was like, dude, you need to forget about all of that and just worry about the content and provide valuable information and not focus on all of those little details. And I'm glad you gave me that advice, man, because the podcast has been going way better than YouTube <laughs> and it's way more enjoyable, too. Yeah, I mean, you you, you have knowledge and, and sometimes we try to like we're trying to produce it in such a way that we see other people doing. Yeah, but we don't have a production team yeah, <laughs> to yeah, do yeah. that yeah. and and you can you can just have provide more value overall just by sharing your knowledge totally. like uh people get more from that and podcasts allow you to just yeah get on there and push record and and really talk about some things in depth yeah podcast is the lazy man's content especially the way that i do it i just have a guest on and we can talk it's like the, <laughs> the easiest thing ever the lazy man's content <laughs> anyways dude that's funny what we're going to talk about today is cool right we're going to do some myth busting nutrition myth busting i think we're going to go through some of the most common myths in the uh, nutrition social media space and talk about why perhaps they don't hold much truth. And then we can also get a little bit nuanced, right? Because these things aren't black and white. Usually most of these statements have some truth to them and then a lot of not truth to them, right? And the one I'd love to start with, I was thinking like, what should we start with? And I just shared this on my story. Our boy, Paul Saladino. Our boy, Paul Saladino just shared a post. Just shared a post. Yeah. To, did you see that on my stories with his blood work? I, I've seen it. I, I know because okay. I follow a lot of people so, who have shared it. So he um, posted his blood work. And for those of you guys that don't know, Paul Saladino is formerly known as Carnivore MD. And he's no longer just a carnivore. He eats meats and fruit. Regardless, it's not to talk about his diet. The point is that a lot of the 
messaging that he shares around uh, blood lipids specifically is just really false, right? So he shared his blood panels and his LDL, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like through the roof, like through the roof. It and wasn't that high, actually. He he said it was through the roof, but it was like 140, I think, or something like that. It wasn't, it really wasn't that high. Yeah, but definitely higher than what's recommended, right? Yeah. And so yeah, it was out of recommendation. But what he, the part that was scary is that in the caption of his post, he's saying that you should actually celebrate having high LDL cholesterol. And I didn't necessarily read the rest of it and understand what his point of view was because I just scrolled by. But let's talk about LDL cholesterol first and whether or not people even have to worry about it, right? Like, are your blood lipids a big deal? Is LDL that big of a deal? What if you also have high HDL? Let's go ahead and start there. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, to lipids, uh, what, what Paul Saladino said, because I, I want to address some of his claims, because I know that no matter what we talk about, people are going to hear his claims as well. Yeah. And they're going to try to question, you know, they're going to say, oh, well, they're saying this, but he's saying this. So I want to address like why some of the stuff that he says is incorrect. So he will often share very specific studies where there's a positive relationship between LDL cholesterol and, and like disease or outcomes like longevity. And this is in a very specific population. There's only like a couple of studies that have been published on this. And it's just cherry picking. He, so he's grabbing a couple of studies and it's a very specific population. It's older adults who are getting admitted into a hospital. So one of those studies is, you know, older adults getting admitted into a hospital, higher LDL levels just signifies better health because LDL drops when you are, um, when you have like a high infection or cancer, any major disease your LDL will drop. So when you're getting admitted into a hospital, low LDL is a marker of poor health at that moment. And he cites this study and it seems compelling. And if you don't understand the body of literature on the subject mm -hmm. and you see that one, that one specific study, you'll say, oh, wow, this is, there is a positive relationship here. There's some truth to what he's saying. And the, there's, nuance behind it that he's completely ignoring maybe he doesn't understand it i think he probably does to a certain extent and he's just doing this yeah purposefully to because he knows that the diet that he promotes or the diet that he used to promote is you know animal-based diet high in saturated fat which increases ldl cholesterol and ldl cholesterol is well established as a as a marker for cardiovascular disease risk now yeah it's more complicated than that because it's just not LDL cholesterol. Mm -hmm. It's not the like it's it's the particles. So we have we have cholesterol floating in our blood that's being carried in in different types of particles, and we have what yeah. are called ApoB containing lipoproteins. These are certain types of particles that float in our blood that can get stuck in our arteries, and when they do, they deposit cholesterol into our arteries. And that leads to the development of a plaque. So that recruit the cholesterol, some of that gets oxidized, that recruits immune cells. It's a, it's a multi-step process, but if you have higher amounts of these ApoB-containing lipoproteins, which LDL cholesterol is a, a marker of that, they, you, you have a higher likelihood of this occurring. Now, it's not the only thing that contributes to heart disease risk, but it's one of the yeah. risk factors that is extremely well established yeah. like this is there's no questioning it when you look at the literature and you actually read all of the studies you can't question it but when you pull 
a single study like he does, yeah. he can make it seem like something else is happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, to touch on a couple things there, right? Um, data are misrepresented all the time by people, right? And one of the things that is hard for individuals to understand is, oh, well, he cited research. That's one of the claims that people send me all the time, right? They're like, oh, he cited research. And it's difficult to try to explain this to somebody because it takes time to understand, right? I actually just wrote a great article. I think we'll probably pub publish it in a couple of weeks on, uh, on Outwork Nutrition about the different types of research studies and what holds more value and what doesn't so that you can be a little bit more educated on whether or not certain claims are real based off the evidence that's being provided, right? But one thing I want- I have a podcast episode on that. Yeah? Like on that specific like it. topic. What's the title? It's like my- uh, it's like my second ep uh, podcast episode. It's called Nutrition is a Science, Not an Opinion, gotcha. I think is what it's called. And I talk, I go through the different types of science, what what they mean, how we can make conclusions. Yeah, It might be that one or the one after that. Okay. I forget, but it's, it's definitely at the beginning. It was one of my first episodes that I published like earlier this year. ChatGPT definitely gave you that name because that is way too good. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was before I even knew what ChatGPT was. Dude, so, so check this out because I think explaining these things a little bit more helps people understand what's going on because people are just like cholesterol, good, bad. They don't even understand how these things work, right? And, and then they think people are arguing. Like yeah. sometimes they'll say like, "Oh, you guys are just uh, experts are arguing." And it's that's not the case. Like, yeah, these people are taking advantage of other individuals and harming people yeah like there are people truly I'm, I'm in carnivore groups in low carb and carnivore groups and that can be done in a, in a healthy way but yeah. if you're cutting out all vegetables and plants and fiber and you're eating a high saturated fat diet and having butter and steak for breakfast every single day for many people especially those who yeah. are genetically susceptible because LDL cholesterol is largely influenced by your genetic yeah. response to saturated fat consumption. So if you eat more saturated fat and you don't have the genetics to, to that would cause your cholesterol to skyrocket, in some cases, it won't increase that much. And you'll see these people saying, I eat carnivore and my, you know, my LDL is only 110 or whatever. Yeah. And it's just because they're genetically different than the person whose LDL is 600. Yeah. And these people who... Yeah, these people have LDLs of 300 and 400. And in this group, I see it. Almost every post is a high LDL post or another side effect of being on these diets for a long period yeah. of time because this group has existed for a long period of time. And at first, people feel good. Yeah. They feel better for various reasons that I don't want to get into now because that would be a whole podcast episode. Yeah. But the long-term consequences or yeah. they start to pop up. Yeah. I want to take a little bit of time here to explain LDL, HDL, because people just think good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, isn't all cholesterol the same. I really don't like the name good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, because when we talk about HDL and LDL, and for those of you guys that don't know, HDL is what we call good cholesterol, LDL, bad cholesterol. HDL and LDL are not different types of cholesterol, okay? Cholesterol is cholesterol. These are molecules that transport cholesterol, okay? And so our bodies transport cholesterol in our bloodstream because cholesterol has physiological functions, right? We use cholesterol for producing different hormones, for example. And HDL is uh, a particular molecule that actually picks up cholesterol from our blood and brings it back to our liver, Okay, and LDL is a molecule that is essentially think of it as 
a carrier, okay? Just like you can get in your car and drive around and get off somewhere else. Think of LDL as a carrier or a car full of cholesterol, and it's depositing cholesterol in your bloodstream, okay? And the reason why that's bad is because if you deposit too much, it builds up. And like Adrian mentioned, it creates a plaque. So for those of you guys watching on YouTube, you can see the animations I'm about to do with my hand. For those of you listening, try to follow around, uh, uh, along, okay? So a blood vessel, it's hollow, right? But if stuff starts to stick to the walls of the blood vessel, it creates a plaque, right? So now the blood vessel is slightly narrower. And if that plaque continues to build up, and like Adrian mentioned, depositing LDL is just one step in plaque buildup. It's a, it's a complex um, process, but depositing cholesterol is definitely an important uh, step there. If you continue to deposit cholesterol, this plaque continues to build up to the point where blood can't really flow through the artery anymore. And what happens is the artery can rupture, right? And that's what we would call heart disease, cardiovascular disease, etc. So the reason why high LDL is bad is because you're just depositing more cholesterol in your bloodstream all over your body. And so you have a higher risk of developing one of these plaques, right? And undoubtedly, higher LDL, as you mentioned, Adrian, is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. That means that if LDL is high, independent of other variables, it will influence your risk of cardiovascular disease because it's depositing more cholesterol. So hopefully that clears up the confusion of good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, etc. Now, another thing I want to go, go into, I want to kind of go off of your analogy and just bring that point home is like, just like if there was more cars on the road, there's more likely to be more wrecks. It's the exact same that's thing that's happening when it. there's more LDL particles. Like, and it, and it comes down to particles. So LDL cholesterol is the concentration of cholesterol that is contained in LDL particles. Mm -hmm. That's like the number of people that are in the cars. That's not as important. It's the number of cars that are on the road, which can be measured through what's called ApoB test or an LDL particle test. Those aren't there aren't they're not a part of standard tests right now they yeah. probably will be there's recommendations that have come out that have recommended that they be included in standard cardiovascular risk assessment tests you can ask your doctor for them they're usually pretty inexpensive apob is the easiest one to get but apob is it's measuring the number of those those cars on the road essentially and yeah. and that's what that's what's most important and it matters like yeah. it's well established it matters <clears throat> yeah isn't there evidence that apob concentrations are almost a better marker um than oh that's clear yeah yeah that, that's been established since 2010 11 ish like quite quite a long time ago that that's been the the data once once we were started learning how to measure apob um, when those studies started being published and comparing it to LDL cholesterol, mm -hmm. it, every study has shown that it's a better predictor of heart disease and LDL cholesterol. We just didn't know what it was, yeah. you know, previous to that. My, my advisor during my PhD, she was involved in like some of this early research and lipoprotein subfractions and all of that. So that's how I kind of learned about it. Yeah. And, and I got lucky to kind of be in that environment. Yeah. And for those of you guys listening, like what's APOB? APO capital B. It's just a protein. It's a protein that's found um, in the bloodstream on LDL cholesterol, and it's it's associated with this mechanism that we're talking about. Each particle has uh, one of those yeah. proteins on it. So each little particle floating in your blood has one of those proteins on it. So we measure the amount of those proteins in your blood, and we can know how many of those yeah. particles are floating around. Exactly. So great explanation there, and I hope people understand now why 
this whole idea of like your blood cholesterol doesn't matter is so important, right? And now a question for you, which you might know a little bit more about this than I have, because I haven't gone really deep on this literature. What about the relationship between LDL and HDL? Does that ratio matter much if somebody has really high LDL, but also very high HDL? Usually high HDL is not a good thing if it's really high. Um, because like you said, it's a carrier molecule trying to take LDL, like trying to take cholesterol back to the liver. And oftentimes LDL cholesterol will increase yeah. um, when there's a lot of cholesterol. So it's like if, if HDL is tow trucks and there's a lot yeah. more wrecks, so there, there needs to be more yeah. HDL cholesterol. So it doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing to see more tow trucks or cops on the road or whatever, whatever you want to use as the analogy for HDL. Um, at this point, like there really isn't strong evidence that trying to purposefully increase HDL for any reason is like helpful for cardiovascular disease. Ten years ago, we thought that was yeah. the case. <laughs> the publications that have come out over the last ten years have have really shown that that relationship doesn't seem to be as strong, and that LDL and the ApoB containing lipoproteins are really like the thing that we need to focus on most when it comes to cholesterol. Now, there's other things yeah. like triglycerides and HbA1c. Yeah. And inflammatory markers and other things that are important for cardiovascular disease risk. But when it comes to cholesterol, it seems that that's probably the most important is those ApoB containing lipoproteins. You know, you brought up something really interesting. That is one of the reasons why people often don't trust people in the evidence-based community. And you mentioned 10 years ago, we thought this, but now we think this, right? And people are like, these people just changed their mind left and right. And, or, or at least that's the consensus amongst the general population. And so they use that as an argument to say, who's to say tomorrow you won't change your mind again, as if that's a bad thing. And, and the whole thing is like, guys, science evolves. The truth, science is trying to get closer to the truth. But the evidence that we have right now, or the stuff that we're going based off of, may be really close to the truth, maybe a little bit far from the truth. But that's what we have have to go based off of, right? And so, yeah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we thought that perhaps higher HDL concentrations were beneficial. New data comes out looking at more nuanced perspectives, perhaps controlling for other variables, perhaps with larger population sizes. And we're starting to see that those correlations with HDL concentrations don't really exist. So- Well, HDL, it's HDL function that seems to be like, cause some HDL, like just like with LDL particles, HDL particles are different and they don't all necessarily transport cholesterol back to the liver. And so we'll, we'll know more about yeah. like how to, how to properly assess HDL in the way that it can be beneficial, like probably in another 10 years. Yeah. But what we're seeing now is like, okay, higher HDL doesn't necessarily mean a good thing because it may not be higher amounts of those ones that work yeah in in the ways and i haven't gone into the hdl stuff too much because yeah. that was after my phd and i haven't yeah. been that deep into lipids but uh i i read a bit about it and and we were kind of talking about that during my phd like there's actually ways to measure the the different uh, like i forget what it is but we can measure the way that the hdl particle works mm. and some of them are working differently than others and it's not necessarily the total concentration, just like yeah. LDL, but it's the way that those HDL particles are functioning. And that's just beyond our ability to currently like 
measure or now we can measure it. We just now need time to figure out what all of that means. And that's why science evolves is mm-hmm. oftentimes it's as technology evolves yep. to allow for greater measurement of certain things. And as we measure things, the picture becomes more nuanced yeah. than we originally thought. And it's not even just technology because sometimes it's just testing new hypotheses, right? We see this, more data. Yeah. Yep. We see this a lot with, um, you know, like the, the fact that people like you and I are open to changing our mind when new data comes out is a good indication that we're trying to be honest and not an indication that we don't know what we're talking about. And oftentimes people think the latter, like with resistance training and the resistance training literature, you know, you have acute uh, changes in hormone concentrations post-exercise. And there was some data definitely at least probably like a decade ago now showing that if you train for longer than like 45 or 60 minutes, there's like huge spikes in cortisol, which makes sense. And so there was this whole hypothesis that like you shouldn't train beyond that because it's not anabolic, you're spiking cortisol. And then there's new data showing that like there's absolute zero correlation with acute change in hormonal concentrations and anabolic signaling, right? So it's like, it doesn't really matter. And if you train harder, you ideally grow more. And then the whole, there was the same type of thought process with testosterone. And I'm not talking about super physiological levels here where you're taking additional testosterone, but it's the idea if you're like within the normal range, people who have more testosterone are more susceptible to growing muscle than people with low testosterone. That doesn't seem to be true either because there's people with lower testosterone who have a ton of muscle. And then we found out it comes down to the concentration of the androgen receptor, which is the molecule that binds testosterone and initiates the anabolic response. We didn't know that before, so we just thought it was testosterone, right? So when you discover new things, test new hypotheses, new technology, uh, shit changes. <laughs> um, yeah. And and as you guys can tell, if you're listening to this, like, um, I try to simplify things as much as possible, especially on social media, but things can get really complicated. Yeah. And that's why it's easy to make up stories. Yeah. Because, yeah. because it is complicated. And so uh, that's why it's really important to, to get your information from people who have really gone into depth on things. And I... You know, people think that I'm, I say this because it's it's what I've done. But to be honest, I used to be the person that was like, oh, you can just learn it all on your own because I read so many books before I did a Ph.D. And um, it, it Ph.D. completely changed my thinking about things yeah. of like, OK, there's a level of depth that that I could I wasn't even close to. And and although sometimes, especially on social media, like I try to make things sound really simple, like we do understand these topics like to a greater extent, but that's not necessarily what people need. Yeah. Um, The unfortunate part is that people take advantage of that complexity in order to make up stories about certain things. Yeah. uh, One of the next topic, I don't know what you had next. Do you, do you have a, the, the next myth that you want to discuss? I quickly wanted to talk about saturated fat too, since it's, it goes so perfectly with this, but what do you think about glucose? Blood sugar? I was thinking seed oils. Yeah, we can go with that next too, for sure. But um, Um, the thing I wanted to touch on saturated fats, it's like we were talking a little bit about this the other day. We were texting back and forth. And like there's extremists on both sides of the equation, right? mm -hmm. Where like, and it just goes again to people like not knowing this nuance. And honestly, I learned more about this nuance even over the past week as I was doing some reading for an article I was writing. But the people that say that, saturated fat doesn't matter are wrong, right? That's the same Paul Saladino crowd. But then 
the other side of that is people that say that eating any saturated fat is bad for you and grouping saturated fats as all being equivalents. And as we were talking about nuance here with cholesterol and LDL and HDL and not all LDL being the same, we could say the same about saturated fat, right? Um, all of these things are so nuanced. And so I quickly wanted to give people some, some really helpful, like take home recommendations when it comes to saturated fat consumption, right? Because I did receive a ton of engagement on that post that I made and people are like, is it bad to eat saturated fat? Is it not bad? My buddy messaged me and he's like, I eat this amount of, uh, ground beef per week. Is that bad? And it's, you can't answer that question, right? Black and white with that amount of information. The reality is it comes down to what do your blood lipids look like, right? And like you mentioned, some people, unfortunately, are essentially more sensitive to saturated fat, where a certain amount of saturated fat will increase LDL cholesterol to a greater degree, right? And that comes down to ApoE4 allele, perhaps, and then other variables as well. So it's like, there's a ton of nuance here. But to say that all saturated fat consumption is bad is not true. For most of you guys listening, if you think you should maybe decrease your saturated fat intake, um, just look at your blood lipids, right? If things are fine and you're healthy, you can argue that the amount of saturated fat you're consuming is not too much, right? We can also go into talking about... um, there's just so much here, dude. Like a lot of the data, it's like, cause people are like, oh, lower saturated fat, but you're inherently going to substitute that with something else. The thing you substitute it with matters too, right? And this can take us directly into talking oh, yeah. about so, so simple, simple recommendations with this yeah. is if you're, like you said, if you have a high blood lip profile, like if you're, if you don't, if you don't, if your LDL is fine, then don't worry about it. Yeah. And there's no reason to increase your consumption of saturated fat purposely. There's no reason to add butter to your meals or try to eat fattier meats on purpose. Like there's no benefit to the fats that are coming yeah. from animal foods. Like there, there is no study that's ever been published that has shown that consuming, you know, butter or uh, ghee or, or tallow or any other fatty animal foods has any positive health outcomes, like any positive benefits. Every study that's ever been done that has compared that to almost anything, like a a vegetable oil or a fiber source or anything, um, shows a a benefit, like for the most part. So purposefully consuming more of those doesn't make sense. Um, If you have a, if you're consuming, you know, a little bit of butter, a little bit of fattier meats, you like a ribeye every couple days a week or whatever, and your LDL cholesterol is fine, I wouldn't worry about it at all. Now, if it's on the high end, then then those things probably need to be reduced, particularly like if you're having coconut oil or, or palm oil or, um, you know, butter or uh, uh, like fattier meats. And what yeah. you replace that with is leaner meats, uh, plant oils and not, you know, coconut and palm. So olive oil um, or avocado oil or whatever you want to use in terms of the plant oils, pretty much all of them except for palm and coconut oil are going to be fine yeah. in terms of improving lipid profile. Yeah. And I think the important thing to touch on there is like what you substitute with is important, right? Because there's also data that if you just substitute it for more refined carbohydrates or added sugars, doesn't necessarily result in positive health outcomes either. Right. And then it comes down to like, you know, people are like saturated fats from animal, uh, based foods are bad. Okay. Without not, without a lot of nuance, we can say, yes, that's, we can agree on that statement. And they're like, no red meat. It's like, hold on. Like not all red meats are equal, right? You can, Mm -hmm. intentionally buy really lean red meat like 
dude, I buy 93.7 or 97.3 lean ground beef. That is inherently lower than 10% saturated fat from total, total calories. I think the 93.7 is maybe like 15%, but I don't eat that on its own. I eat it with some veggies. I eat it with a carb source. And for the meal, total saturated fat is under 10% for the meal, right? Occasionally I have some fattier sources, but I eat red meat often. I know there are arguments that perhaps it's not the best for your health, but in the way that I do it, it really pisses me off when people are just like, that's so bad for you. It's like, man, I'm purposefully choosing the leaner cuts on purpose. I add a ton of veggies to my plate. Like it is so hard to argue that that is bad for my health. Yeah. Given I, that my blood yeah, lipids are fine. Yeah. <laughs> you can't argue. Crazy, you can't man. argue strong. I mean, there, there's there's a little. You can make a little bit of a justification of like, okay, maybe the relationship between red meat and colorectal cancer yes. that yes. is like slight there. Like there may be a slight increase yeah. in color, but but the reality is like you're you're talking about what could potentially be tiny increases in risk in cardiovascular disease and cancer, tiny increases yeah. for for your dietary choice. Like it's 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 not it's too much to think that you're gonna go ahead and like completely remove that food for this minor potential benefit based on epidemiological data yeah um yeah it's not it's not worth it in that case i get i get what you're saying there there is evidence yeah that these foods eaten in higher quantities but even with saturated fat it's 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 like really there's no increase like from zero to seven percent there's it's just a flat line and then once you get up seven it starts to increase and the 10 is when it really starts to go up yep and And, then and so that no sorry go ahead you finish yeah so i mean it's it's not like you have to eat zero it's it's really there's a and, and there's a threshold and that's why it's like there's a threshold that's going to be different for everyone and for me i know like i've i've measured my ldl cholesterol since since i was doing my phd i used to measure it all the time and i've changed my diet and and if i'm eating it's crazy like my response to to animal foods is so sensitive mm. um but everybody in my family has like my mom my uncles my aunts they all unmedicated 300 plus ldl oh, cholesterol wow. Yeah, no, it's like way up there. And so yeah. so mine's mine's 101, but I eat a mostly plant-based diet. Mm. Like I don't I rarely eat red meat. I yeah. eat lots of beans, as many meals I won't even have uh any meat, but that's just how my son eats. So and and I've kind of eaten like that because of him mm-hmm. and then I get my lipids measured and I'm like it's probably how I should be eating yeah, to yeah, just yeah. kind of keep things where they need to be cuz if I'm yeah, if I'm eating steak and eggs and stuff like that regularly, mm-hmm. my LDL even even with healthy diet, mm-hmm. high fiber, exercising, I'm lean, my LDL will be well over 140. Like oh wow, dude, that's interesting, plus. man. Yeah. That is, that's yeah, that's we talked about genetics, man. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. No. That's why I know about the genetics. Yeah. Like, I know this topic really well because personal experience like yeah. i knew from early like everybody in my family's had a heart attack on my mom's side like, oh wow pretty much like not her but her brother her sister her mom her dad and knowing this like when i first got into this space i was like okay everybody in my family has really high ldl cholesterols everyone has a history of heart disease yeah. and, they're, and they're all they're all active they're all like pretty healthy overall wow. but they've had cardiovascular events like because of this naturally really so they're all medicated now yeah. but they're probably they're probably eating too many lectins <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely the case 
<laughs> oh man yeah dude it's just it's it's funny man because yeah people harp on these little things and like you and i have always talked about they don't even have like healthy behaviors in place that are important right now for people who like already have a ton of healthy behaviors in place and they perhaps really care about like i don't know a one percent or a 2% improvement and they want to cut these things out sure by all means do so but it also you also have to think about like second order effects right for me Consuming animal products helps me enjoy my diet. Two, a high protein diet helps me with my goals of improving body composition, etc. And three, it prevents me from eating other stuff and it helps me have a healthy body composition, which in many ways you can argue is probably the most important variable, right? Like, dude, how many people do you see that follow a plant-based diet for health-based benefits who are overweight or obese? And that's not this that's not to discriminate against those people, but it just just because you only eat plants doesn't mean you have a healthy diet. Dude, it, it's hard. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, I eat, I say I probably eat like out of like dinners throughout the week, I probably have three or four with it when I don't have any, any meat source and it doesn't fill me up as much. I have to eat more. Yeah. Like I probably totally. eat more calories overall when I do that because in to get the same amount of protein. Now I, I can use it. It's not that big of a yeah. deal because my energy needs are really high. But like for someone else, like it, it may be more difficult to stay within their energy needs if they're eating these foods that are because because the only way you get protein in, in plant based foods is, is through unless you're using like, you know, the the protein type or like the, the fake meats and stuff like that. But the only way you're going to get protein is through, you know, tofu or or beans and lentils. And, yeah. and those are all you know, higher in fiber, they're all, and it's hard to get enough protein. Yeah. You need a lot of beans to get within a calorie amount. Like you, that has to represent a large portion of your plate. Yeah. And then it sometimes like it, it, it's hard to do. Like I've been, I've been yeah doing, you know, plant-based meals and stuff like that. And I've, I've experimented with that with my diet a lot. So I did that a little bit in my twenties too. And it's just, it's more difficult to get same amount of protein i end up you know the only way i do it is i'll have like yogurt with uh with protein powder and that's like you know 40 grams yeah. greek yogurt with protein powder and that'll just yeah i was gonna cover. ask you if you use whey protein or not yeah yeah so that's 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 how i can just and it's easier for me because my son is is vegetarian so yeah. it's just easier for me that way but yeah that's that's what i would do but it's yeah, it's just more difficult, and I don't. I don't think anyone should be encouraged, and you shouldn't be afraid of having red meat or, or animal foods. Like it's there's not. It's not this really strong evidence yeah. that it's going to cause any harm. It's it's pretty weak evidence that it may cause some slight increases. That that, you know, it's like a one you know two percent increase risk if you're eating lean red meat. Like it's, it's yeah. Very then you little. can argue that potential benefits if eating in this fashion because listen this is what i try it's it's nuanced right like do i recommend a diet that's mainly meat and fruit no right not at all that's not what i would recommend as the healthiest diet and cutting out veggies and cutting out things like legumes that are incredibly helpful and dairy and whole grains etc however i do recognize that that provides a certain amount of structure for some people that helps them lose weight if they have to lose weight and helps them have a healthier body composition and does result in improvements in health outcomes. Right. So it's like, 
we can't talk about that topic though because that's a whole that's like a whole yeah a whole podcast as it, well because it is because that is what he promotes now is what is like it is really close to what's called a Crohn's disease exclusion diet and that's why it works for some people is because you'll see the people it works for it's people with digestive issues and, and people who have oftentimes yeah. Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and and it's a low residue diet it's taking out a lot of the fiber taking out a lot of the plant like uh structure because you're taking out a lot of those vegetables the hard like broccoli that's really hard to break down so you're, so you're making it much easier for the digestive tract yeah. to digest those foods that's when I saw him like start promoting his new diet, I'm like, that is, I, I, and I get why, like there's, there's great explanations for why this works. Yeah. And those of you who don't know, cause I think you and I just started talking without giving the, the context is like uh carnivore MD, who is Paul Saladino, who we were talking about earlier. He promotes a diet that's mostly meat and fruit and rice. And that diet think, right. is, I think it's just meat and fruit. No, he has rice. Okay. okay. I'm pretty sure. Or, or, used to but that that's part of that diet too it's like anything that doesn't have a lot of fiber and the fruit has fiber but it's it's not like it's, it's, minimal, it's yeah. difficult to break down is like the and and there's less than like yeah. what you're going to get from veggies you get more energy to the amount of fiber which is what you need to be doing if you have a digestive issue that is causing you to have a hard time like absorbing nutrients and stuff which yeah. is crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis yeah. so you'll these people so unfortunately, like when those people come across this content and they see that and they do it, they think he has a secret, you know, secret information. If they worked with a, a good dietitian who who specialized in Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, they would bring that up as an option yeah. uh, in most cases. Yeah. I wasn't even referring to the eye condition. So like, let's say, you know, somebody following a standard American diet. It's probably 40, 50 pounds. Oh, weight. yeah. <laughs> you give them some general structure of like, hey, just eat more unprocessed meat and more fruits. And doing that, they enjoy because they like eating meat. And they're like, okay, I could eat some steak. Hey, maybe choose some leaner cuts of steak, right? Just have some sirloin and have some ground beef that's leaner. Yeah, I could do that easy. I enjoy that. And that person significantly reduces their processed food consumption, drops 40 or 50 pounds. They can eat plenty of fruit, which helps curb their, their cravings for sweets. Is that optimal? No, but would I discourage that? No, because that helped that person, right? Like there, it's like yeah. people want to fucking argue like being optimal. It's like, listen, we're just trying to give recommendations that improve people's health, right? And for some people, it can be beneficial to eat more meat. And if specifically if it reduces processed food consumption and they have excess body fat, right? It's it's nuanced, man. That's what I'm trying to get. And, and it manages their hunger. Specific. That's where it works. Yeah, it manages, it, it manages their hunger. It's a protein. Uh, oftentimes, it helps manage hunger. And um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I I don't disagree with that. It's not harming people's health when you look at it from the multiple aspects. Yeah. Um, and that's where it's just the lack of nuance that exists on on social media, and that's why these these discussions on the podcast with, Dude, with more nuances that are helpful. I even ha I had friends in undergrad who, for whatever reason, saw stuff or whatever, and they, they wanted to significantly reduce how much meat they were consuming. There's friends of mine that like cared about lifting and stuff too. And so then like, instead of eating a piece of chicken, they started eating like those like Lenny and Larry cookies that are like 16 grams of protein for 400 calories and like 50 grams of sugar. And it's like, that is not a good sub substitution. Like, sure, it is plant-based, but that is not a good substitution from a health-based perspective, from a from a protein 
per calorie quantity from a hunger and satiety regulation standpoint, you know, but it's this whole idea of like, oh, if I reduce meat consumption, it's healthier. Anyway, nutrient standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You can go on and on. I feel like we've been beating this meat horse. That sounds so wrong. <laughs> we've been beating a dead horse with this meat topic. That sounds better. Oh my um, God. That, that still sounds bad. <laughs> You've been uh, beating a dead horse with this meat. Topic. Yeah. We're not beating horse meat, I promise. But anyways, let's talk about seed Jesus oils. Christ. <laughs> I, I can't even focus after that. That should be the topic uh, of the, the... Seed oils, they're inflammatory. They cause cancer. They cause heart disease. They cause inflammation and autoimmune disease. Like that's, you know, I, I can't tell you how many different claims I've, I've seen about seed oils um industrial seed oils industrial <laughs> highly processed you know you'll see all these words placed yeah. in front of them and, and like you can say industrial for butter <laughs> like yeah. industrial butter yeah. like it's yeah. so dumb and um uh, we're cracking up but it's a serious topic it is a serious issue. yeah it, it is a serious topic because i know that there's probably a lot of people listening who have heard this and have heard great justifications again just like with the LDL cholesterol, you've heard great justifications of why this might be true. And with seed oils, there's a lot of different ways that people will frame it. A lot of them are storytelling, and we really just need to get away from storytelling, like focus on data, focus on outcomes that people can show you as opposed to storytelling. Because you'll hear, well, this is you know industrialized, the words they use, and then they'll also talk about how you know, this can be used as, as fuel or it was used as, as fuel in, in ships at some point. So you'll hear that and then you'll hear like uh, there's a How It's Made episode where they made like some yeah. really highly processed like vegetable oil type of stuff. And so people will share clips of that where it looks really gross. If you saw how your water was processed, it would look gross yes. and you would be scared to drink water. Yeah. Like uh, they, they just it's it's taking these um, little emotional things that don't really yeah. speak to the actual topic. Like the actual topic is if I eat these things, does it have a positive or negative impact on my health? And then so we have to first get past all of those, uh, you know, stories that are being told. And then some people will actually tell some things that have some slight truth to them. So yeah. you'll hear, you know. Um, Americans have eaten more seed oils and we've gotten fatter. That's true for sure because seed oils have been placed into all of the processed foods that have come out over the last you know, 30 or 40 years because they're cheap and they are just part of most processed foods. Yeah. So people eat more seed oils, we got fatter, we just ate more processed foods and we moved less and we had access to more food and it was all around us and, and being obese like came, became more like socially acceptable. Like A lot of things happened over this period of time as opposed to like just, you know, just being like uh, just seed oils. Yeah. And so Compound that's a big one. And we'll explain. Those. Yeah, exactly. That's a big one. The the people say omega-6 fatty acids are inf are pro-inflammatory because the omega-6 fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid that comes in the seed oils, it can get converted into arachidonic acid and arachidonic acid can go down a pro-inflammatory pathway where it can get converted into like pro-inflammatory molecules. This requires multiple steps and like just because we eat that oil doesn't mean that it goes down that pathway and causes that inflammatory response. So yeah. you'll hear that. And this is something that um, this is called like And anytime you see this, you want to just be a little bit skeptical when someone focuses in on a mechanism like this, because yeah. um, at the end of the day, what matters is 
how it impacts the outcomes on our health. Is it increasing inflammation? Is it causing, you know, heart disease? Is it, is it contributing to established negative health outcomes? Because when we look at mechanisms, this is just a very specific snapshot of a lot of shit that's going on. Or, or one thing that could happen. Could have, yeah, could happen. And if it does happen, it's one of, one thing that of a lot of stuff that's going on at the yeah. same time, like for example, insulin, insulin, because it uh, causes fat to be stored, you know, insulin causes fat gain because yeah. that's one of the mechanisms through that insulin has when it binds to, you know, fat cells, it causes the uptake of, of fatty acids. We'll talk about glucose next. That makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, it's just um, it's these mechanisms when, when people dial in on mechanisms, just be skeptical. Sometimes they might be giving you good information, but oftentimes people are focusing on mechanisms because they don't have the outcome data. Yeah. Because the outcome data doesn't exist and it doesn't agree with what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. And that's, you'll see that very often with this seed oil topic. People will say ALAs are pro inflammatory or the linoleic acid, not alpha linoleic acid. I said alpha linoleic yeah. acid on accident earlier. Linoleic acid or pro inflammatory. Um, and it's just not. Like this, yeah. this fatty acid that's in these seed oils is not pro-inflammatory. They are processed, some of them, using, you know, industrial methods, quote unquote. Um, that doesn't mean they're harmful. They've been tested in clinical trials and have shown to not be harmful. And you can also get cold-pressed canola oil or peanut yeah. oil or any other type of oil if you want as well. And it doesn't go through these processes. Yeah. So... Yeah. A ton of stuff to talk about there because you've obviously <laughs> talked a lot about these things and you're passionate about it. So you say a million things at once. A couple things I want to a couple things I want to touch on here so it's clear, right? What you mentioned that just because something can go down a certain pathway doesn't mean it will, right? When people talk about mechanisms, for example, omega-6 fatty acids being converted into arachidonic acid producing pro-inflammatory cytokines. That is one mechanism. Our physiology is an orchestra, essentially, a symphony of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different mechanisms happening simultaneously and these mechanisms interacting with each other as well. So when you do a cell culture study and look at one mechanism in isolation, it does tell you a little bit of what is one of the things that can happen, but it does not tell you what's going on in the entire body, right? One, one perfect analogy here is when people, cause one of the arguments, at least in like the bodybuilding and space and stuff like that for, to tell people to eat more cholesterol, it's like, well, our bodies use cholesterol to produce testosterone. And that's true. Cholesterol is a precursor for testosterone, but just because you eat more cholesterol doesn't mean you produce more testosterone, right? Because there are regulatory steps as well. Like if you have enough testosterone, your body is not going to upregulate mechanisms to produce more testosterone just because you have more cholesterol. The cholesterol is going to be used for other stuff because guess what? Cholesterol can be used for a million different things, right? And omega-6 fatty acid can become a pro-inflammatory, can go down a pro-inflammatory pathway, but it can also just be used for energy production right? It's a fatty acid. We use them for producing energy. So that's really, really important to mention because people hyper-focus on these mechanisms. It's like, guys, take a step back and just look at outcome data. Outcome data is when you give somebody something, measure the thing you're trying to measure, right? If you're going to say omega-6 increases inflammation, don't talk about the mechanism. Just give people omega-6 
and measure inflammatory molecules. And guess what? Inflammatory molecules don't really increase. There's probably a ton of different regulatory steps that regulate somebody's baseline or homeostatic level of inflammatory molecules. One of those is the amount of adipose tissue you have, right? Your body fat percentage. It's it's so complex, right? Just like, because you eat more carbs doesn't mean your blood sugar is going up. Why? Because there's a bunch of regulation around that, even though- Let's cover that one. Yeah. And the last thing I want to touch here on <laughs> seed oils is this idea of the processing shit that you mentioned, right? Like they're bleached. Is bleach one of the steps in the processing of seed oils? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, maybe bleaching or whatever. And people are like- these are toxic processes. Listen, when foods are bleached, they also completely remove the bleach. There is no bleach in the final product, right? It's 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 an argument that is kind of silly because just because something goes through a certain process, like we drink, like if you you're drinking water at some point, like was like sewer water, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like- exactly, and the processes that it has to undergo to clean it and remove all of the dangerous stuff is probably stuff that would be dangerous if you just consumed, right? Like we're not saying you should eat bleach and just cause something has been bleached doesn't mean there's any bleach in it. But the way that people present it, it's like, oh, these products are bleached. Okay, now is there any <laughs> bleach in the final product? No, because it goes, it undergoes other processes. It sounds to scary. It. Yeah. yeah. That, that's where I say the, the, the easy way, because I get sent this stuff all the time. It's like, is this true? Is this true? Because when you do myth busting content, people will start to like want you to bust every myth that they come across. Like they just want you to be yeah. like their personal myth, myth buster or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, just stop listening to people who tell stories like this or who focus on mechanisms and start listening to people who are talking about outcomes. And stop listening to people who aren't well-educated in the topic and start listening to people who are well-educated and who have spent the time that it takes to develop the expertise in this topic. And if you do that, you'll be okay. Like yeah. nutrition will get really simple for you like it, because it is. It's not that complicated. I mean, it, it can be complicated. It's complicated if you're working on this side of things and you have to deal with someone who has Crohn's disease or, or some other autoimmune condition or yeah. – or, you know, you have to deal with some of this stuff. Yes, it can get really complicated. And if you're dealing with very specific issues, it can get com- more complicated. But the basics that everyone needs to be focusing on are really simple. But mm. most people are just completely distracted by by fasting protocols and glucose monitors and trying to avoid specific ingredients in every yeah. food. So you're having to read all the ingredients and you're not even paying attention to your energy intake, which is more important. Yeah. Like, because energy intake is probably one of the most important things when it comes to our health long term. Like, yeah. if you're overeating, if you're overeating consistently, your body will store that energy. That energy stored will eventually, over time, will contribute to, like Joey said earlier, like the production of inflammatory molecules that are going to be released into the bloodstream and negatively impact health in various ways. And that's going to negatively impact metabolism because overconsumption of energy will lead to filling up of, of your muscle lipid stores as well. And your muscles won't respond to glucose properly. And that will lead to high levels of glucose, high levels of triglycerides in the blood. And all of that comes from excess energy, not from yeah. BHT or whatever ingredient that 
food babe or Bobby yeah. Flay scared, you know, Flave City or whatever that guy's name is, uh, scared people. It's Bobby from. approved, baby. I'm I'm putting out a video on Bobby real soon. Um, <laughs> uh, dude, I heard a great quote and it goes something like this. It was like, your physiology is really complex, so your nutrition can be really simple. And it just means like, just don't fucking overthink it so much, you know, eat whole foods. And, and the thing is like, our message isn't that appealing because it is so simple, but it's like your body will like, it's like when people are like, don't eat fat because it causes fat. Well, carbs can be converted into fat if you eat too many of them. Like all of these me- mechanisms are so complex to where like how you eat and what you eat doesn't make a huge impact because your body's going to use the food efficiently to do the shit it needs to do. Right. So, I do think excess energy is probably the number one thing people need to focus on. And if eating a certain way that isn't optimal for health because of X, Y, Z reason helps you improve your body composition and lower adiposity, if you have excess fat, that's probably going to be helpful for your, for your overall health, right? Because essentially it seems like inflammation is a contributing factor, large contributing factor to all these diseases cardiovascular disease, diabetes. It's the metabolic effect yes. more than the inflammatory effect. Yeah. Well, it's, um, because it's in many ways, a lot of these inflammatory markers influence the metabo- metabolic pathways as well. Yeah. Right. So, and the thing is when you have more body fat, your body fat one changes its secretory profile. Like it will inherently secrete more of these pro-inflammatory molecules. We don't necessarily know why, there's a couple of mechanisms we think when it, might be why, right? Like I think one of them is like the like cramming of adipose tissues themselves. But do you know why phenotypically they change and produce more uh, inflammatory molecules? So some, sometimes because there's a lack of blood flow and hypoxia. Yes, so there's actually yep. cell death and there's a recruitment of immune cells yep. to there. And that leads to just massive levels of inflammation. Yeah. That's higher levels of obesity is more likely for that to occur. Um, the other side of it is once those adipose tissue get, um, over full, essentially they'll start to, pre- yeah. each, each adipose, like each fat cell has a certain capacity to, store to, fat. to, to store fat. And once we over exert that capacity and we can't put on more fat and that varies from person to person, like people who can put on a, a lot of fat they're metabolically protected at first. Like once when they're first gaining fat, if they just gain it really easily, it's because the excess energy goes into storage instead of circulating in the bloodstream. And it's harmful when it circulates in the bloodstream. Like that's why excess energy is, is important or harmful is because if we have too much glucose and lipids and triglycerides in our blood, that's going to cause every negative health outcome imaginable. Like, cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, everything is going to be increased from those energy, like, you know, those energy uh, sources being circulating at high levels in our blood. And so that's why excess energy is such an issue, not necessarily because it causes us to get fat. It's because if it circulates in our blood and so the fat is actually protecting us until it gets too full and then it starts to just spill. So once it gets too full, it starts to spill triglycerides into the bloodstream like crazy too. So it's just releasing all of these inflammatory cytokines and triglycerides and it's insulin resistant. So it doesn't take up any glucose in it, yeah. which, which it normally would. And it's and important so- to point out that like the fat itself can also be harmful, right? It's twofold. 
because if you're producing more of these inflammatory molecules, particularly things like TNF-alpha, interleukin-6, these are just inflammatory molecules that your fat will produce when you have excess body fat, they mechanistically downregulate the actions of insulin, for example. They have effects on the insulin receptor not being as sensitive. That's insulin sensitivity being influenced, right? They can influence um, sensitivity to atherosclerosis. I always mess up when I say atherosclerotic plaque buildup, right? Because some of these inflammatory molecules are associated in the recruitment of immune cells to the target site, which again, depending on the type of cell, depending on what's going on in the environment can contribute to atherosclerosis. So it's, it's so complex, but it's twofold, right? Excess energy circulating in the blood is bad. And then if you have excess fat, it compounds on top of that because oh, the yeah, mechanisms yeah. that are needed to clear the energy from the blood are compromised because of these inflammatory molecules as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I didn't want to say, I didn't mean that that was the only thing, but yeah. that, that's where like, cause the fats, the fat cells start just dumping fat into yeah. the bloodstream. It's just like, there's so much glucose and, and lipids and triglycerides and free fatty acids, and free amino acids as well. That, that one's not like, if you measure amino acids in the bloodstream, it correlates with negative health outcomes as well. I didn't know that. Uh, it's, it's just energy. Yeah. You know, any, any energy source, when we, when we look, when there's high amounts of basically any energy source in the bloodstream, uh, there's a correlation with negative health yeah. outcomes. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I haven't looked into this data in a long time, like since my PhD, but I had seen multiple studies that were looking at, they were trying to use amino acids as biomarkers mm. for negative health outcomes because they, they, there was a correlation yeah. between, uh, and it, it was, I was just like, oh, that makes sense, yeah. just it, excess energy overall. Important to mention though, that high levels of energy in the blood are only an issue when it's chronic, right? Yes. And this is a good transition into talking about blood sugar regulation because we're talking about like, oh, if your blood sugar levels are high, it's bad. Not acutely, chronically, right? That means like you wake up in the morning, you haven't eaten, your blood sugar is high. And it's been like that for months. That's bad. <laughs> you eat some carbs, your blood sugar goes up. That's not bad or at least it's not inherently bad, right? Um, so let's talk about that, man, because these yeah. continuous glucose monitors are so popular. Uh, and I've heard, you know, I've heard even people make the argument, I have I have one client in particular who who is using one, and we've had this conversation, like, just, just why, right? And because some people now are arguing, they're like, yeah, like if you're healthy, you know, you don't have to worry so much about blood sugar and stuff, but a continuous glucose monitor is a great learning tool to see what's going on with your glucose. And I'm like, what is there to learn? Because the only thing you really need to look at is like chronic glucose concentration, hemoglobin A1C. Like though I can't wrap my head around it because at the end of the day, it's going to promote a reduction in carbohydrate consumption, specifically quickly digesting carbs and fruits fall into that category, right? So when you use that logic, I'm just like, there's nothing to learn about. And it just doesn't make sense because it's going to encourage what I would say are unhealthy behaviors. Yeah, it, it can push you away from healthier choices for sure. And um, as you mentioned, and I, this all ties in really well to the to the traffic uh, analogy that we were talking about earlier. So if we're, if we're talking about, um, you know, we said LDL cholesterols, cars on the road, well, so is glucose and so are triglycerides and all the other energy sources. They're all cars on the road that can contribute to one's a Toyota, one's a Kia, one's a Nissan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so um, 
we don't want zero, like we're never going to get to zero cars on the road because we have to transport these energy sources throughout our body. Yep. The goal is not to get to the lowest amount of cars on the road as possible. It's to make sure that it never gets too jam-packed or that those levels are too high. And what's happening with this glucose monitor is, um, is a lot of people are, they're pathologizing, they're thinking that um, the a glucose level that is a completely normal response to eating carbohydrate-containing foods is something that's harming their health. Yeah. So if your glucose level is 90 at, at baseline and it goes up to 140, 150, if you're following these people who who are you know glucose spike people who who talk about this all the time, like the glucose goddess and all the other people who followed her lead, um, you will think that that's harming your health. Yeah. But the reality is that if it goes up to 150 because you ate a bunch of carbs, and it comes back down, that's fine. Yeah. It's not an issue. Your body your body can handle that. And, and that's the problem is people are saying, oh, well, that spiked my glucose. And so then they're scared to eat something and that will lead you away. Like, for example, if I ate a bowl of watermelon right now my or a bowl of grapes, my glucose will probably go up to 130, 140, 150 possibly. Yeah. It's going to go right back down, right back down because it, it, it wouldn't go right back down if I had a, a burger and fries before this, but I, I haven't eaten um, since this morning and I exercise this morning, so it'll go up and it'll get completely wiped out of my bloodstream in, in minutes. And that is not a problem. Yeah. And what these people are doing who are promoting these glucose monitors and the way that they're promoting it is they're turning it, that into, they're making, they're making people afraid of these small increases when we eat carbohydrate containing foods that are completely normal. Yeah. So uh, fantastic information there. And I wanted to, to even talk about the analogy that you mentioned on cars, about cars in the highway for a little bit, because glucose itself acutely is not an indicator of health. We look at glucose, but looking at glucose, our glucose concentrations tell us about what's going on in our body. It's not inherently glucose being high is bad. Glucose being high is bad because your body cannot clear it. It's the fact that your body cannot clear it that is bad. We just look at glucose concentrations because it's easy to look at and it's indicative of your body not being able to clear it, especially if we're looking at chronic levels of glucose. However, anytime you eat carbs, glucose goes up. The important thing, as Adrian mentioned, is that your body is able to clear it. What does it mean by your body clearing blood glucose? It essentially means that different tissues in your blood, like your different organs, muscle, etc., can take that glucose from the blood and use it for energy efficiently right? If your blood glucose goes down, it means that your body is efficiently using that blood glucose for different metabolic processes. If your blood sugar doesn't go down, it means that your body can't efficiently use it. You have insulin resistance and those chronically elevated levels of glucose are then going to cause damage, right? And if we talk about the highway, it's the same as saying a lot of cars. I want to step in right here yeah. really quickly though, because I think someone might get the wrong idea of thinking that that's why they need a glucose monitor is to determine if their glucose is coming oh, down properly. Sure. And what all you need to do is get your HbA1c tested. Yeah. And it's a if you can't get it through your doctor, you can buy a test online for like 30 bucks. It's really yeah. easy. 
that tells you your average blood glucose levels about, this is yeah. an estimate of your average blood glucose levels over the last three months. Yep. If it's high, then you might want to focus on improve, like improving your metabolism and maybe thinking about you know, the way that you're consuming certain glucose containers. Like yeah. if you're eating a lot like ice cream at night and stuff like that, like you might yeah. want to think about some of these things. But if, if your HbA1c isn't high, you don't have to worry about wearing a glucose monitor and, and paying attention to every single glucose fluctuation. Another analogy that, that I think uh, I used one time that I think helps some people understand it is uh, measuring your glucose fluctuation to every meal is similar to like weighing yourself to, <laughs> yeah. after every meal. Yeah. Like if you did that, you would eat less yeah. and probably lose weight because you would say, oh, I ate this meal and I, 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 my weight increased less. So you're just going to eat less food. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you'll probably lose weight and it'll probably work. And so a lot of people will say, because when I criticize this, I have so many people will come in and say, um, well, I did what she recommended or like what, what these people recommend and it reduced my glucose levels and, and or like it reduced my A1C. And it will. Yeah. It definitely will. But it's it's paying attention to the wrong thing yeah. and it's just not actually paying like you don't need to pay attention to your your every glucose fluctuation you just need to pay attention to your habits yeah. and the habits are, are what matter in your overall lifestyle and diet and then if you get your a1c tested regularly or like once a year and you make sure that that's in a healthy range then you don't have to worry about hyper managing this this physiological process yeah that's like that's something like we 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 get sold often on, on hyper managing our body uh, on thinking we have to like control every little thing about the way our body works. And we just can't do that. It's like your body like, takes this, care of it. That's what I was saying. Your it's exhausting. Complex, yeah. right? It's like your body will take care of it on its own. Um, you don't have to worry about the grams of carbs you ate for breakfast. If you're doing all of these healthy behaviors and eating carbs is extremely healthy. Like there's so much data showing that in general population here, People who eat more carbs have better, uh, better body weight regulation in carbs in proportion to total calories. I'm not talking about just eating more carbs, right? But like people who consume more carbs as a total percentage of their total calories tend to have better body weight outcomes. Um, another interesting fact, you can be diabetic and insulin resistance even if you don't eat a ton of carbs, right? Because you can just be eating overeating energy. You can have insulin resistance without eating a lot of carbs. <laughs> like That's the funny part, right? Like actually mechanistically, if we're going to talk about mechanisms, fat cause insulin resistance more than eating carbs does. Acutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Acutely. Right. And that's the same thing about insulin acutely influencing uh, fat storage, right? It's so, it's so complex that you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> like literally. It, it, it's so complex that that's why we don't get into the complexities often yeah. because it's confusing. It is. Confusing. And and so I'll have people ask me oftentimes in my Q and A's, can you explain how this works? And I'm like, I can listen that to my That would not help you. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, like that, that wouldn't be helpful at all. Yeah. Like it would be a very complicated thing to understand that would not actually like, how about I just tell you to, drink more water yeah like yeah, it's yeah. it's more you don't need to understand all the mechanisms unless you're going into this into this field um you just need to understand the habits yeah. and build skills in in knowledge or like once you have that knowledge build skills around implementing those habits yeah. into your life and focus there instead of trying to learn every little nuance and and 
because that's going to distract you oftentimes into things that you don't need to know. And then it's going to just take you into misinformation oftentimes um, instead of just focusing on, okay, this is, these are the basics, build some skills around implementing that, do that for the rest of your life. Don't make this your whole life. Don't pay attention to it all the time and spend yeah. your whole life thinking about nutrition. And cause that's what I see a lot of people do is they just, they're investing too much into it because it becomes overwhelming. Dude, I can't tell you how many of my clients and you'll probably have, you have the similar experience literally tell me, wow, your style of coaching just relieves so much pressure. They're like, this is just like so much easier to follow. I don't have to worry about when I eat or whether it has carbs or whether it's keto or whether or whether or whether X, Y, Z. And I'm like, because that shit doesn't matter. Like there's a reason why you haven't made progress towards your goals and you've been hyper focusing on these things. Right. And for years, sometimes, you know, dude, it's so sad. It is sad. Right. And then when they just start to learn about things that matter and how much flexibility you actually have, right? Because you don't have to focus. The thing is people focus on the things they shouldn't do rather than just focus on the things that you should do. And when you focus on the things that you should do, you have so much more flexibility and freedom and you start to realize like how simple this stuff really is, right? I actually have one client, dude, who is an avid listener of both my podcast and your podcast. She loves your podcast. She's always like, I heard Dr. Adrian's podcast and he said X, Y, Z. And then I heard your podcast and you said the same thing. It's so nice to have you guys. Like she, she loves you. Um, love I'm sure she'll love this podcast and she'll know who I'm talking about when she hears it. Because she listens to every episode, which is great. But um, And she's actually one of the ones that has been struggling with a lot of these things for a while. But uh, the analogy I wanted to say with regarding the highway, because this will make people understand a little bit of what I mean in terms of like what matters is like your, your body's ability to, to clear glucose. It's like, Cars on the highway are not an issue, right? The issue becomes if there's things like traffic jams, right? Or maybe if an exit is closed and the cars can't get off of the exit, then there's an accumulation, right? It's the same with blood sugar. Think about your bloodstream as the highway, glucose being the cars. The cars are going to different places. As long as the cars can get off in their exit and go where they're going and traffic is flowing, it's all good. As long as glucose is flowing through your blood and your tissues are able to take that glucose and use it, it's all good. That's really what matters. Anyways, we've also been beating this glucose horse. <laughs> um, what are what are some final topics we can talk about? I was thinking maybe things like anti-nutrient stuff like that. What are your thoughts? Any other? I mean, we ones? talked about the carnivore stuff already yeah. a little bit. Uh, the idea of anti-nutrients stuff. from the perspective of like defense chemicals being bad, hormesis in particular, right? Inflammation being bad to any degree. That goes, you know, the inflammation thing, chronic versus acute, because we've been talking about inflammation being bad, right? But inflammation isn't inherently bad. Inflammation is only bad, similar to glucose, if it is continuously elevated, right? Guys, think of it like this, and I just thought of this. All of these processes, right? Cholesterol, blood sugar going up and down, uh, inflammation going up and down. These are all different processes that our body uses to maintain us alive and maintain a, our physiology functioning properly, right? So these things are supposed to happen. If you had zero inflammation, you would die because you would get an infection and die because you wouldn't be able to fight it off. So all of these processes, if you couldn't, if you like literally had zero blood sugar, that would also be very, very, very bad. Right? If oh, you had die. zero cholesterol, you would die. That would also be very, very bad. So all these things are necessary. It's when these mechanisms get thrown out of whack, 
right? And when they're thrown out of whack, we can measure certain things that tell us that they're out of whack. Like we can measure our glucose and we can know whether glucose regulation is out of whack or not. Inflammation is no different. Inflammation is not bad. Inflammation is only bad when it's chronically elevated. And that tells us that something's going on with our physiology that isn't the best, right? It's not the fact that inflammation itself is harmful. Inflammation is actually a good thing, right? And so when people make this argument of like oxalates or phytates or lectins, these are all different compounds found in foods that mechanistically have been shown to increase inflammation just the same way like how we talked about omega-6 can increase inflammation basically they haven't even not even with with phytates no with lectins lectins just bind to immune cells essentially and that's it's if those proteins get into the into the bloodstream undigested like it's yeah this would take another hour and a half episode to address each of those because they're all they're all different, different. Like, but th- a lot of these people but hide none behind of them the actually argument. show negative outcomes yeah none of them show like, negative that's outcomes. The yeah thing. which is what we're going to talk about but so many of these people fear monger under the argument of inflammation right like these things are so inflammatory these foods are inflammatory and you know seed oils are a huge one but I hear a similar argument with um, the anti-nutrients as well, right? Or perhaps like you mentioned, anti-nutrients binding to other things. And they talk about it things. with lectins because you can take, uh, you can grab cell culture studies where they'll they'll mix immune cells with various lectins from yeah. food in a, in a cell culture and then they bind to the immune cells. And and so that's, that's where some of that comes from is like, oh, they, they cause, you know, an immune response. Yeah. And, that um anything causes an immune response of you present and there's truth to that yeah too because i mean there's again does nutrition gets really complicated when we talk about immune responses and digestive health mm-hmm. and all that stuff um that that's layers and layers of complication but um in the general population lectin containing foods are associated with positive health outcomes when people eat nuts beans whole grains they have improvements in health. Same with phytates. And then all of these, like with phytates, for example, um, there's actually studies to show that phytates are antioxidant nutrients. So they, yes, they, they can inhibit the absorption of some minerals in our body, but typically they come with some of those minerals as well. So like they're inhibiting the absorption of some of the minerals they come with, they don't even, and, and so what people will tell you is they, they block the absorption and there's a difference between yeah, block and inhibit. Like yeah. they will bind to a little bit of magnesium, a little bit of iron, you absorb a little bit less magnesium and iron, you know, whatever. So you have, if you, if you had, let's say for example, 10 grand, you know, 10 milligrams of iron, maybe you only absorb six because you had some phytates with that meal. Um, but those phytates, have antioxidant properties in our body and they're they're contained in foods that have positive health effects so avoiding them for this specific mechanism that someone points out again is just uh, all of these come down to uh you know misrepresented mechanisms again and where you say like the the plant defense compounds like that this is just there's these compounds that are that are found in tiny quantities in these plants that if they were you know if you concentrated them and put them in high quantities and and mix them with cells in a in a in a test tube they can have negative effects but we eat those plants and they have positive benefits like we we don't simple you know simple information there and 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 if they don't for you 
In some cases, there may be reasons behind it. It may be because you're sensitive to certain compounds in that plant. It may be because that food has certain types of fiber that you can't tolerate well. Typically, they're like these things can happen, and this is why this is one of the reasons why some of these these myths take hold a lot of times is because they are true for a segment of the population in many cases. And that segment of the population, they've never been heard by anyone else. They don't feel like it. Like if they listen to a general nutrition podcast or like everything this person's telling me doesn't make me feel good. But if this guy told me to go carnivore now and I feel better, like this person is, is a God to me. Yeah. Like they, 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 they put themselves in a space because they're going, you know, on that side of things where when someone follows it and they, it feels good. They think that this person knows everything and they tell, they tell everyone. And yeah. so that's how that stuff goes viral. Um, but there's explanations to all this. If, if, if people were getting their information from actual nutrition professionals, yeah. like the vast majority of information on social media in, in, in bookstores and Barnes and Noble on podcasts is it's not nutrition. It's not people who went through any type of formal education whatsoever at all. And, and I'm not saying the formal education is the end all be all, but you have to learn some biology and some biochemistry and you have to learn this stuff. You yeah. have to understand the basics in order to be able to understand the more complex stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and oftentimes people think they understand the complex stuff because they don't understand the basics and it's their just lack of it's their complete lack of understanding that makes them think that they can understand the complex stuff. They don't know so, shit <laughs> yet. Exactly. So like yeah. education and then also experience. Like yeah. if you're taking advice from someone, you probably want that. There's great people who haven't like great people who put out good information, who are well-educated that didn't work, didn't work with people in this space. But um, the information is often going to be more simple and more practical if you're taking it from someone who has experience in working with clients totally. uh i I'm, the stuff that the the content that i would put out before working with clients versus after is significantly different and Same before here. it would have been more more of the biohacky type stuff because it's just interesting to me yeah and then i wouldn't have realized like oh you know i saw this paper on on the benefits of sauna. So I'm going to share this and talk about how cool it is. And then everyone's going to think they have to sauna every day. And, and it's, uh, I used to do that stuff more in my content early yeah. on. And I realized that people were thinking that they had to do all of these things that I shared about. Yeah. And I shifted my content and then I realized that it didn't grow as fast, Yeah, but it's, it's fine. That's so funny. I'm thinking here even myself, like, yeah, the type of content I've made has definitely shifted it just also because we're always trying to attract a different type of person to our business and all that stuff. But even like when I first started, I remember a post that I made that I would never make now. I was talking about how different polymorphisms in the testosterone gene influence <laughs> the anabolic effects of testosterone. And it was just like some genes had like more of the freaking, uh, What's the term? Uh, I'm blanking now. SMPs? Or no. ATGC. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, what's the term? Wow. Now now this whole podcast is useless because we get I, I don't know. Um, the, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Anyways, the gene had slightly more of those. Um, they're not amino acids, dude. What's... Uh, uh, wow dude 
Anyways, Adrian and I are idiots. We don't know anything. But no. genes essentially are, you know, composed. Nucleic acids. Yes, nucleic. Wow. Yes, 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 yes. There were, there were certain uh, testosterone. I didn't. I was like, what are you talking about at first? Yep. Yeah, I had to like think about it and imagine the DNA structure, and I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. what he's talking about." Anyways, some of them just had slightly more nucleic acids at the end, and that influenced the anabolic properties of the testosterone receptor. It was it was the gene for the t- testosterone receptor because that's the protein. And I remember I used to post about those things because I found it fascinating. I'm like, "Oh, this is so cool! Like, we found this out." And just like, what is that? That doesn't help anybody, you know? It's it's also stuff that. Um, sometimes people post stuff like that and it's makes you seem smart. Yes, yeah. exactly. it, it's like, it makes you look smart. And, and I used to do that stuff like <laughs> kind of for that reason, not, not kind of for that reason, but like people are like, Oh, this guy's really smart. But at the end of the day, social media is not to show how smart you are. Like, or that's not why I use it. Like I'm, I'm trying to put out content that's going to be helpful, not complicate what you think about health and then think I'm smart in the process like that. And that's what, that's what so many people are doing is like complicating what we like, just complicating the whole health thing and and making themselves sound really smart. Oftentimes they're, they're not even providing correct information. Yeah. Anyways, man, I think we've been talking about the, yeah, we've, we've been going at it. This is a long episode. (laughs) Yeah. I love this though, man. This was awesome. I I like talking, to you about these things because you're just as passionate about them as I am. And you obviously bring up a ton of interesting points that are things that I haven't even thought about, honestly. Um, we'll have to do another one, bro. You'll definitely be the first yeah, person to be on the show three get a, times. Uh, a pick for social. Get a pick? Yeah, <laughs> send it to me too. <laughs> Recording with the goat. That's what you need to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that up for sure. <laughs> All, All right, right dude. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure like always. Guys, if you want to... I guess, Adrian, you're going to share this on your podcast too, I think. But if you guys want yep. to follow Adrian, please do at Dr. Adrian Chavez on all social media platforms. Um, where can people find your course as well? Uh, your Nutrition Prescription Podcast as well. And then my course, um, you can find it through my social. So just click on the link on my bio and my social. That's the easiest thing to do. Um, and yeah, on Instagram, that's the best place. And I have all the links there. Yeah, guys, if you like really in-depth topics... Um, Adrian covers those a ton more than I do. I like having more organic conversations. Adrian is not lazy and actually takes time to air his topics in a lot of detail. Um, so if you want to learn more about things like saturated fat, cholesterol, et cetera, he has topics on, he has episodes on all of those topics where he just talks about them for like 30 minutes. Not gonna lie. It's a little bit boring, but I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's really boring, but, but at the end of the day, if you come home with some knowledge, it's fine. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much, man. We'll talk soon. See you, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good one.